who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Yes, it is. That is what Christmas is all about. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on December 19th. That is six days. Six days, Alan Nelson. Stop counting for next year. Stop it. Uh, six days until the celebration of Christmas in the United States and around the world. We are celebrating what should be a celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is far too often something else. But that's not what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, we are, however, going to talk about the birth of Christ and what Christmas is and what it isn't if you don't have something else. So we want to talk about that tonight, but we want to welcome you and give you, wish you an early Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us. Uh, just so you understand, Rich, Richard Story and I, this is the team. That's it. It's just us two. Uh, we are the hosts of this program, which is Voice of Reason Radio. Why Voice of Reason? Well, if you're new to us, what we always try to say is there is only one true voice of reason in this world, and that is the Word of God. Everything else must be focused through that lens, or you just simply don't have reason at all. And without that voice of reason, we wouldn't even know about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born approximately 2,000 years ago, coming into this world to live and uh, take on the wrath of God and die for our sins, which is going to be our topic tonight. We are part of the Christian podcast community. Uh, there are literally more than a dozen or more probably a couple dozen by now. I keep thinking we are adding so many that are part of the Christian podcast community. So if you are looking for a good podcast to listen to, and well, if you, I don't know why you're not wanting to listen to us, but if you want to want, listen to other programs, <laughs> there are plenty on there. We will put the link in the show notes that you can go check it out. But please go check out Christian podcast community. You will be blessed mightily by the number of programs on there. And uh, we are just glad to have you with us. My brother, Rich, how are you this evening? Brother, as always, I'm better than I deserve. Um, how are you doing? You know what? It has been an interesting week as usual. It, uh, I Somehow I seem to have injured my shoulder. Don't know how. I, I was literally sitting at my desk when it started to hurt. So I've had been eating a lot of ibuprofen and wearing a lot of ice packs this week. But aside from that, uh, we're plugging along doing pretty well. <laughs> uh, God has great, been gracious to us. And uh, 
we're getting ready to come into the, the, the end of the silly season, as we sometimes call, call it, and we're still waiting for packages to arrive. Uh, but we are grateful that, uh, you know, Lord, the Lord continues to bless our family and provide for us far more than we deserve, just like you say, better than we deserve. So uh, glad to have you with us, uh, with you, brother. This time last year, we were having a hard time even making shows. So I'm glad we're two weeks into December. We, we're still recording. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we, we seem to be clicking a little bit better this December than last December. Um, <laughs> we probably will take a little time off towards the end of this month. But before we go any further, I'd like to send a special shout out to our friend Lauren at Tulips and Honey and Lauren um, by chance Chris and I both were in your chat room Friday um, I just want to tell you embrace the twang um, Michelle Michelle Leslie posted on Twitter a week or so ago that she and I and to a small degree, Justin Peters, we're keeping the twang alive in podcasting. So, um, Lauren, don't don't shy away from it. Just embrace it. I happen to be the king of twang, and I, I think sometimes that may put some people off this show. But um, to me, I don't have a I don't have an accent, and I don't hear it in anyone else. So I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> it's the rest of us that have an accent. That's that's what it is, right? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> no, we are grateful for uh, for Lauren. Um, I don't know how, and nobody tell Andrew Rappaport because I'm just never going to catch the end of grief, but apparently I've won a book from her show. So uh, I'm still waiting for that one to show up in the mail. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. I, you know, it's, I don't know quite how that keeps happening. And the funny thing is, for all the grief y'all uh, give me for the, the few, the handful of contests I win, you ought to see the stuff my wife wins. <laughs> She's got much more of a winning streak on her online contest than I ever have, and so <laughs> she's she does the essential oil stuff, and she's she's won ornaments and oils and uh, all kinds of accoutrements to go with it, and it's it's swear every time they hit they spin that little computer wheel, her name comes up. <laughs> so, so it's 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 just one of those weird things. Sometimes the Lord is very gracious, I, I and He's been gracious throughout this uh, this particular year, so. Um, as crazy as this year has been, he has been very gracious to us. So, but, uh, we do, we do appreciate you being with us, uh, this particular week. We wanted to kind of take a break from, uh, a lot of the insanity that we've been dealing with. Uh, you know, there's plenty of topics to, to discuss. We really could have gone with, uh, JD Greer and the, the, the folks in the Southern Baptist convention. I'm sorry, JD Greer. What did you call it? Great commission Baptist. It's the Southern Baptist Convention, sorry, JD, uh, and, and his absolute equivocating, you know, equivocating on critical race theory and the whole and their statement that came out. But we didn't want to do that. We <laughs> we didn't want to do that to you this week. We wanted to do something a little bit better and and actually will, a lot better. So go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. I, I, w I will throw this out, um, and this is a very very tiny teaser. Sometime in February, look for a very special episode of Voice of Reason Radio as it applies to. J.D. Greer and some other issues mm -hmm. going on. Um, we'll just leave it at that right now. Yeah, we'll just not not going to give too much information because <laughs> we got to get it all planned out and got to get see if we can get the the people that we want to talk to us to talk to us. And but uh, you know that that's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to that particular discussion. But yes, this week 
especially since we are six days away from celebrating Christmas as it is culturally recognized in our in our country. Um, and well, and really around the world, like I said earlier, uh, we wanted to talk about that. We wanted to talk about that's what Christmas is all about, as Linus put it in that in that wonderful little moment in you know the Charlie Brown Christmas special. It's such a wonderful little show, and it's so silly that we're not airing it on network television anymore. You got to have Apple Television or you get PBS or something. It needs to be back on te- network television. Y'all need to get back on that. But just that heartwarming moment when Charlie Brown, who just cannot figure out what Christmas is supposed to be about, and he's catching so much grief for the things that he fails, and what does Linus do? He redirects it back to the most important thing. And that is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what is Christmas, but with an added twist. See, you cannot really celebrate Christmas unless you celebrate something else that comes with it. And what I and the way I put it is, you cannot have Christmas if there is not Easter. See, without Christmas, you know, Christmas is the birth of our Savior. But what did he come for? Well, he came to die. And he came to rise from the grave. And without Easter, there is no Christmas. Because without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Christmas could be nothing more than a pointless cultural holiday in which we exchange gifts, spends lots of money. That's kind of what we're doing now. Um, But it's so much more because God came into humanity, took on humanity, lived a perfect life so that he might die for sinners, taking the wrath of God upon himself so that he might rise from the grave and defeating sin and death and giving us a promise of eternal life. That is the gospel from Christmas to Easter. That is the gospel. So brother, before we get into this tonight, what would you like to say regarding the topic that we're going to be discussing? Well, I'm just kind of interested in just jumping right on into it. Um, I'll just say this, when it comes to Christians and Christmas, I think we tend to lose focus. We, we, we focus on the manger, but it is the empty tomb and his resurrection that should be the true object of our focus this time of year. Amen. Amen. So folks, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's, let's start with what we think about when we think of Christmas, and that is the incarnation. You know, when when we think of Christmas, like you said, Rich, we think about Christ as a baby. This this wonderful story that you know the the Mary betrothed to Joseph is you know is confronted by an angel who says you will carry the Messiah, and she and she, she rightly states, I can't, and I don't understand how that's going to work. I've never known a man. She's virgin. She's virgin woman she doesn't she's not had relations how is she going to be pregnant and the holy spirit will come upon her she is told and she sings this magnificent song where she recognizes that she is in need of a savior now that is a death knell to the idea of the catholic doctrine in which mary is perfectly sinless that she is uh, she was conceived without sin, and that that's how Jesus was born without sin. That's not that's not true at all, because Mary herself recognized the need for a savior. But it's be, it's that incarnation, that moment when Christ, 
the second uh, person of the Trinity, God himself comes into this world and takes on human flesh. He is born of a virgin. Why? Because it is the Holy Spirit coming upon her and creating for, for Christ this human body. A body that is without the taint of sin passed down through Adam. Because Adam, the, the first man, Adam, representing us in the garden, our federal head, sinned and cast all of creation into sin. And through him, we all inherit our sinful nature. So Christ, being conceived in the womb of a virgin, is without the taint of original sin. And he wouldn't he could then come into this life without into this world without sin so that he could be our representative but without sin. It's so important that we understand the virgin birth is so entirely important because if Christ were simply a mere man conceived in the way that men are, he would have carried the taint of sin with him. And he could not have been our representative. He could not have become the perfect sinless sacrifice. And yet, he comes into this world as God and man. Fully God and fully man. And Rich, before we go further, I know you had something you wanted to add with regard to Mary and uh, the fact that Christ is, is born of a virgin. Yeah, well, let's look at Mary for just a few minutes. Um, most of my notes tonight are from a radio broadcast by J. Vernon McGee. The title of it was, What is Christmas Without the Resurrection? I know a lot of people have issues with Dr. McGee, but as it applies to this particular subject, he nails it dead on in so many areas. Um, so, like I said, I'm just putting that out there so you know that not everything is my words, I'm, I'm paraphrasing some and pulling from some notes from that particular broadcast, just to make that clear. But looking at Mary, <clears throat> we go into Scripture. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She was the first one who ever doubted the virgin birth. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon, excuse me, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, Luke 1, 34 and 35. Now, Nazareth, now, we're going to kind of delve a little bit deeper into what Mary faced as an unwed pregnant mother in this age. And today's society, you know, more times than not, it's really no big deal for some woman to be unmarried and be pregnant. But that was not the case 2,000 years ago. Now, Nazareth did not believe her story, and they did not have a very high opinion of Mary or of her son. If you want an idea of their attitude, go back to Psalm 69, which points a prophetic picture of Christ on the cross and gives us insight into the cruelty he endured as he grew up in Nazareth. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. 
they that hate me without a cause or more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. Psalm 69, 2-4. Perhaps this is what went up. Excuse me. Perhaps this is what went on in his mind as he was hanging there on the cross. He looked out around him and said, There is no place for me to stand. I'm in deep waters. Sin was ready to be pushed down on his head as a crown of thorns. He said, I'm weary of my crying. My throat's dry. Then as he looked out at the crowd, he said, They hate me without a cause. There's young Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't even know me, but he hates me. I'm dying for him, and he doesn't know that in a short time I'm going to reveal myself to him. They hate me without a cause. Oh, what a crowd. They are more than the hairs of my head. And as he is there on the cross, since he is perfectly human, he does what a great many people do when they are ready to die. He goes back over his life. Because for thy, because for thy sake I have, be, I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. Psalm 69, 7. You and I have no notion what he endured in life because he was virgin born. Listen to him. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them. Psalm 69:11. They made his life so miserable that he went about Nazareth in sackcloth. The awful thing is they ridiculed and criticized him even for that. They that sat in the gate, those were the leaders of the town, speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. Psalm 69:12. In other words, not only were those in high positions against me, but those down on Skid Row made nasty little comments about me and my mother, and they sang them. That's what he went through in order that you and I might be legitimate children of God. And when the angel asked Mary, "Would you be willing to do? Would you be willing to be this one?" She responded, "Behold, the handmaid of the Lord be it unto me according to thy word." And the angel departed from her. Luke one thirty eight. Going on. Because of her decision, there was a cloud over Mary all of her life, that is, until the resurrection of Christ. Luke, in writing the book of Acts, has a master stroke, which many of us, which many of us might miss. He says that after Jesus was raised from the dead and was with his own for 40 days, he ascended back into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, the, the disciples came aside to wait, as the Lord had told them, for the promise of the Father. Here's the record. Then they returned unto Jerusalem for the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Acts 1, 12 through 14. What a master stroke. Mary is in the upper room after his ascension into heaven, and as they are gathered in prayer, talking about these things that had happened, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension back into heaven, I can see Mary sitting there with a smile on her face, for finally the cloud is gone. I do not know if it happened exactly this way, but something very similar had to have taken place. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning, the true beginning of our miracle of salvation. What do you think about that, Chris? Awesome stuff. You know, J. Vernon McGee, like you said, some folks, especially those who are <laughs> more within the reform camp, may may not have cared for 
his teaching, but I think he powerfully captures what this looked like. I mean, it we can get very clinical. We can, you know, very, this is the theological paradigm. And we can forget the the anxiety, the stress, the strain, the the shunning, the you know the the the, the back talking and the the whispers as as you, as you walk by, and that's what Christ was born into. That's what he brought upon the family that raised him. You, you know, and, and, and go ahead, sir. I was just going to ask you for that time and era. Was that not one of the most shameful things a daughter within a family oh, could yes. do would be to become pregnant without a husband? And, you know, the Bible addresses the fact that the angel spoke to Joseph, letting him know mm-hmm. that this child in her womb was of God. But other than that, there's no indication other than Elizabeth, there's no indication that anyone else in that area or in her family believed her or even accepted her is still part of their family. Exactly. In fact, the reason Joseph is told that is because Joseph, if a woman had done what many people assumed Mary had done, that she had been unfaithful, that she had been with another man, not only was he to divorce her, she would have been put to death. And he didn't want to do that. He, he cared for her, he loved her, and he was going to divorce her quietly and kind of make this go away because he didn't want that to happen to her. And it's the, as you said, the angel says, no, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph then, in order to rightly handle this so that nobody could ever accuse Mary or anybody, you know, or, uh, or him or anybody, ha- that the... Um, that Christ was born of the work of man's hands, he did not even know her in a biblical manner until after his birth. So that it was clear that it was not him, that this was a work of God. But that stigma follows them because you go to uh, you, know, you go to when Christ is dealing with the, the Jews in the, uh, in the public square in uh, John chapter 8, and he's having that ongoing discourse with them. And he says to them in, in verse 39, uh, he, they, uh, they, the Jews, answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So the stigma of how he came to be still followed him by the time he's ministering with his disciples, uh, preaching, healing, you know, doing these miracles, the stigma of his background still followed him even then. That they believe, you know, that, well, you, you're born of sexual immorality. Your mom was, uh, was busy with somebody else before you, you uh, her and your father got together. So that stigma still carried. And that's that's what is so amazing about this particular... This is one of the things... I remember a, a pastor saying this once. That nobody can ever look to Christ and say, you don't understand my circumstances. He was born with the stigma of sexual, you know, sexual immorality is how he came to be. He was born to a poor family 
lived in a poor community. And everybody whispered and talked about them all his life. He was born and placed in a manger, a feeding trough. There was nothing about his entrance into this world where anybody could say, I've had it harder than you, Jesus. You don't understand. That was what's so amazing about his coming into this world. But they then consider who it is that came into this world. In the incarnation, we have God taking on human flesh. That's what we call the hypostatic union. Christ, in his deity, taking on humanity. He is the God-man. There's no mixing. There's no intermingling. They are two distinct, unique natures, neither taking away from or adding something to the other. And we see this in the, the, you know, the beginning verses in, in, in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, who's the Word? Jesus, because he's with God, yet he is God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So you can't say that Christ is a creation because there's nothing made that wasn't made through him. So in the beginning, Christ was with God, the Father, and was God, God the Son, and he made all things. So he's God, infinite, eternal, same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So He became flesh. He didn't change. He didn't become something different. He wasn't a demigod. He wasn't half God, half man. He is God-man. Two natures. So, why? why? Why do that? Why, why come into the world and take on humanity? So that Christ becomes our perfect representative. Why? Go back to what we said a minute ago. The first Adam was our federal head. This bugs a lot of people. I don't know why, but it does. Adam was our federal head. He represented us. Just like if you send a, a, a political representative, an envoy, uh, to another country, and they represent you. If that envoy does something wrong, then that our country pays the price. So this is gonna this is probably gonna get me in trouble. But okay, so the president, I won't say which one. So the president goes to another nation insults them, creates havoc over there, and comes back and war begins. Well, all of the United States is affected by that man's decisions. And in the same way, and in a much greater way, actually, Adam, the first Adam, represented us in the garden. And when he willfully fell, chose to sin against God, rebelliously chose to sin against God, we all were impacted and we all take on his sinful nature. So 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22, for as by a man came death, Adam brought death into this world, brought sin. 
by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Christ, the last Adam, the last man, is our representative before God. The perfect God-man who lived without sin becomes our representative. Romans 5, 15, and then 17 through 18. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam's, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by, that, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He represents us. And through him, we have eternal life. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Rich, we have a representative in Christ where Adam was an imperfect representative because he was sinful, because he fell, he rebelled against God. Christ lived perfectly. He is God incarnate. He represents us before the Lord. And yet he had to do that because he had to become a man. He had to be our representative in this world. God cannot represent us. He is God. Yet God in incarnate as a man, can represent us. And that's why this, this we love the manger scene. I mean, everybody loves going to a live nativity scene. It's so, it's so neat. It's so beautiful. And it, you just, oh, look at the baby Jesus. How wonderful. But we, we miss if we don't think about what this means. That God took on flesh. That he might be our representative before God the Father. That is what Christmas is. It is remembering the incarnation of our Savior, this magnificent miracle that the infinite took on finite. That is amazing. And he did so for his creation. That is amazing to think about when we stop and think about what Christmas really is. Now, Rich, Brother, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was actually going to go pass the baton to you real quick. <laughs> oh, well, I agree with you, and you're absolutely, absolutely right. And one thing I think is overlooked is we got to realize that the resurrection of Christ gives meaning to the life of Christ. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew twenty twenty eight. The resurrection is what gives substance to the teaching of Christ because, my friends, we need a dynamic to go with the ethic, and the resurrection furnishes that dynamic. Um, I clipped this from another note from that same broadcast by Dr. McGee. Liberals will say, I don't need anyone to tell me how to live. I already know how to live. I do not need someone to tell me a system of ethics because I, have a, because I have a high standard. But liberalism has no such dynamic. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can give the dynamic for Christian living. His resurrection from the dead gives credence to the miracles of Christ, for it is the supreme miracle of all. 
it's always around the Christmas season when articles start circulating in which the statement is made that the virgin birth of Christ is the miracle of miracles. I believe, I believe in the virgin birth with all my heart, but I do not believe that it is the miracle of miracles. The miracle of miracles is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the one that is all important and which crowns all the others. In fact, it is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that certifies and guarantees the virgin birth of Christ. Paul says and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1.4. He is declared to be the Son of God, not made the Son of God. He was already the Son of God when he was born. But when he was raised from the dead, everything that he was and everything that he did received upon it, a seal of guarantee from the courts of heaven, without the resurrection, there is no gospel to preach. And the resurrection itself in that miracle confirmed all that Mary had claimed throughout her life. The resurrection of Christ was that promised seal, was the affirmation that of all her claims that she was still truly a virgin when the incarnation, when Jesus came into this world. She was truly virgin. Amen. And we need to realize also that there's times when people will try to say that, well, if he was born of the Holy Spirit, how could he be son of David? We got to go back and look and remember Christ is the seal of the promise made to Abraham, not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Christ is the fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham, the Son of Man, the Son of God, come to take away the sins of the world for those called by God. Christ was born of the Spirit to, fit, to fulfill the promise made by the Spirit. And that's something that we need to re also remember, that the entire Old Testament talks and points to the coming of Christ. And people tend to forget that, well, the Old Testament was just all this old stuff, and we just need to focus over here on the New Testament. The Old Testament doesn't have any application. Yes, it does, because I forget how many prophecies there were mm -hmm. in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. It was like 600 and plus, depending on which source of information you use. But Christ fulfilled all the promises God made to both Israel and to the world. Christ, the hidden treasure, the hidden secret was going to be that Christ came not only for the Israelites, but for all of mankind, whether Gentile, Jew, Greek, whatever the nationality. Mm -hmm. Christ came to bring all those called by his name into his fold, not just the children of Israel. Amen. Amen. That You know, the, what's funny is, I mean, like you said at the beginning, the resurrection gives meaning to the life of Christ. We talk about his birth. His life is a life of perfection. He said that he did everything that he was commanded by the Father. He was perfect in thought, word, and deed. If there was any area in which Christ failed, where he sinned, he could not have been our representative because then he would have had sin for which he needed atonement. So he is our perfect representative. He is the spotless lamb. Remember, John the Baptist said, 
Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is he mean, saying? To the Jew, they knew exactly what that meant. That a spotless lamb, one without fault or blemish, was what was demanded to be brought to the temple for the sacrifice, which could only cover sin. In Christ, we have the spotless, perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And as you said, Rich, for all those who are called by him. But he had to die. We don't like to think about this when, we, when we're talking about Christmas and little baby Jesus in the manger. But Christ came to die. He is our representative. We stand before God guilty of sin. We are sinners in thought, word, and deed in every day of our life. There's not a moment that's going to go by that you can be sinless. Everything we do is tainted by the original sin that we inherited from our first, uh, our first Adam. Christ was without that. But he came to die so that he might represent sinners before God. How can I say that? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. We deserve eternal torment, eternal torment death in the lake of fire. That's what we deserve for offending our holy and righteous and infinite God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We deserve death. We deserve the eternal death. But the free gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus. He came so that he might pay the price. Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows us his love, or shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from, by him from the wrath of God. For, while, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is his death, his propitiatory death, his dying in our place that he came for. He lived a perfect life. He took on humanity. He sinned in no manner. He was sinless. And yet he came to die. Hebrews 9, 19-22 For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the book or sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way with the blood, uh, and in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost nothing, almost everything is purified, excuse me, with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no 
forgiveness for sins. Christ shed his blood that we might be sinned. Now, it's not that his blood is magical, that somehow it is that a, some sort of magic a- act, but it is the fact that he shed his blood as the spotless, sinless lamb in our place that we can be forgiven. How? Because he becomes sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became sin. He represented us sinners before God and became sin and took the wrath of God so that we might become righteousness of God. How is that possible? How is him dying making me righteous? Well, it's the great exchange. See, Christ takes my sin. He takes the sin of those whom he has called upon himself and takes the wrath for that sin. And then he imputes his righteousness, his righteousness, on us, the great exchange, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He, the righteous, died for the unrighteous, so that he might impute his righteousness to us. His completed work, when we turn in repentance and faith, trusting completely in that completed work, His perfect righteousness is put on us. That's what's called grace. That's mercy. We don't deserve it. We deserve eternal condemnation. But Christ took the righteous wrath of God upon Himself for us. He came to be our representative. He became man. He emptied Himself. He divested himself of all that he had in heaven to come to us, to live in squalor, to live without all the, the wonderful trappings of royalty. And he lived without sin. And then he takes willingly upon himself the wrath of God. He came to die in our place. But, as we often so often like to say at Easter time, that was Friday, but Sunday's coming. This is where the Christmas story has its crescendo. It has its culmination that without which Christmas is pointless. Rich, what was it you were wanting to... I, I know you had sent me something on this one. What was this it, this culmination that you were looking at when we get to the resurrection? Well, we have to remember the death and then the resurrection of Christ are the two pillars on which the arch of the gospel rests. In fact, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the crowning factor of our gospel. It is the hinge on which the door of salvation swings. It is the fulcrum on which is placed the lever of redemption that can lift man from sin and death. One of the Greek poets said, if I had a place to put a fulcrum and a lever long enough, I could raise the earth. Well, raising the earth to himself was what God did. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is that fulcrum, and on it he put the lever of redemption so that today he can lift us out of sin and death and bring us to himself. 
our salvation rests entirely upon the resurrection, and the resurrection lends value to the death of Christ, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, Romans 4.25. And I'd like to point out that if Christ is not risen, as I get into this, um, and I'll go back to you, but my friends today, if Christ was not raised from the dead, I'd like to ask you this. If he's not raised from the dead, why do we celebrate his birth? Without his resurrection, Christmas would be an idiot's delight. What good would all of this talk about putting Christ back into Christmas do if not for his resurrection? We'd be, it'd make more sense for us just to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer rather than sing Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. In fact, it would be better for us to wear sackcloth and ashes and weep than to sing at all, because without the resurrection, Christmas would be a season of sobbing rather than singing. Brothers and sisters, Christ is risen from the dead, and his empty tomb sends a shout of victory back beyond the cross and all the way back to that little cradle in Bethlehem when he was just a little newborn baby. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which he just grew out of naturally, and when he died, they wrapped him up again, but that time in linen clothes. But he didn't come out of those naturally. He came out of them supernaturally. There was no room for him in the inn in Bethlehem, and there was no room for him in Joseph's tomb. People might say, well, that tomb was brand new. It was empty. There's never been anyone put in there. But I tell you, there was no room for him there because that tomb could not hold him. The tomb was made to receive bodies who had died and were going to stay there. But there was no room for him because he didn't stay there. He was born and put in a manger and buried in a cave. And there wasn't room for him in either place. No one expected the promised Messiah to be born in a feeding trough in Bethlehem, and those women who came to the tomb that morning never expected to find him anywhere except in that tomb. But as the angels pointed out to them, why seek the living among the dead? Luke 24, 5. The resurrection says that from the cradle to the grave, he was God. And now will you send a cablegram to the wise men and tell them to come out? The little baby is God. That little baby is God, and he is back from the dead. Tell the shepherds to leave their sheep, for the baby lying in that manger is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Tell the angelic host to shout it from the ends of God's universe that a Savior is born, born to die, and born to be raised from the dead. Brother, that is just something else to think about. Amen. Amen. We, I don't think we emphasize this enough. It's not that it's not being said. Don't misunderstand me. I mean... Brother, we when we think of Christmas and we have those Christmas messages, how often do we point to the cross? How often do we point to the bloody cross and the sealed tomb? The purpose for which he came and then turn it back to the most amazing miracle, the resurrection from the dead. By which without, we have no ability to be forgiven ever. If Christ is dead, there is no forgiveness for sins. Brother, that is the heart of the gospel message. That Christ, the God-man, took on flesh, came to this earth so that he would live a perfect life, die a bloody death, be sealed in a tomb, and on the third day rises from the grave. Without that last part, there is no forgiveness for sins. First Corinthians... Oh, go ahead. 
I just would like to add this. Without the resurrection of Christ, he is, as the Muslims claim, he was just a man. He was just a prophet. But the resurrection of Christ shows and proves the miracle of miracles, proved that death could not defeat him, proved that death could not hold him, proved to all those skeptics that he was God incarnate. Amen. Amen. Let's let's t- let's look about t- at this resurrection. There's no forgiveness of sins without resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be of all people most to be pity. Paul nails this. There's no gospel message without a physically resurrected Christ. Remember, there were those, the Sadducees, who hated the idea of the resurrection. They completely, they were the liberals of the day. Nah, there's no resurrection. They even tried to, to put Jesus to the test. Hey, we, we had this problem. This, 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 this woman, she, she had a husband. The husband died, no kids. The law says, uh, well, you know, the, the next in line has to take her and, uh, you know, and make her his wife and have a child in his brother's name. Except that, well, the second one died, and then the third one died, and all the way down to the seventh. All died, no child. Then she dies. Well, if the resurrection's true, uh, whose husband is it? Who has her as wife? They all did. And he's, he completely blasts them. And he says, you don't even understand the word. That, you know, in the resurrection, they're neither given in marriage or married or given in marriage. And by the way, you know the Bible. You know the scriptures say that he is the uh, you know God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Christ slaps that idea down from de- from, and from the from the start. And Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, again demonstrates the absolute need to understand and believe in the resurrection of Christ. Because if there is no resurrection. Christ did not defeat defeat sin and death. He's still in the grave. If he is not raised, then there's no forgiveness for sins and we're we're doomed. And Paul was right. If there is no resurrection, then we are the most pitiable people on earth because we worship a God who's still in the tomb. But see, through the resurrection, Christ defeated sin and death. Go back to 1 Corinthians again, chapter 15, verses 53 to 57. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, excuse me, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of uh, death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victor, gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection gives us promise of resurrection and eternal life. Our more our, our perishable bodies will become imperishable. Our mortal bodies will become immortal. We will put on this imperishable body that will last for eternity. Why? Because Christ defeated sin and death. Oh, where is your victory, death? Well, where is your sting? 2 Timothy 1, 8-10 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ defeated death. Romans 6, 9-11 We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For, de- for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He defeated death. He will never die again. He is raised from the grave. And he, because of that, he defeated sin. He died to sin. He died because of our sin. He rose from the grave. And so we are called to, be, to consider ourselves dead to sin. It no longer has power over us. Do we still struggle with sin? Do we still war against sin? Absolutely. But sin is no longer our master. We are freed in Christ Jesus. Now, lest we misunderstand something, who rose Christ from the dead? Well, God rose Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit rose Christ from the dead. Jesus rose himself from the grave. John 10, 17 through 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Christ no longer is bound by death. He defeated death. But not only that, it was he who defeated death. It wasn't defeated for him. He defeated death. He rose himself from the grave. He laid himself down and he rose himself back up. That is the work of God. God the Son in Jesus Christ raising himself. Why? So that we will have eternal life. Romans 6, 22-23 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And also John 11 through 11:25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Folks, this is the Christmas message. There is no Christmas without Easter. There is no gospel message without the death of Christ and his resurrection. 
That is why it's so very important that when we think about that beautiful baby lying in the manger, wrapped in those swaddling clothes, we are looking not just at a beautiful baby and a beautiful story, but we are looking at the God-man who entered into this life, took on humanity so that he would be our perfect representative living without sin that he might stand before God and take the judgment for sinners upon himself, the righteous wrath of God, that he may take that on himself, willingly laying down his life, shedding his blood, and having the, the eternal God, the Father, turn his back on him at the cross because he became sin for us. And in doing so, all the wrath, the, the supernatural, eternal wrath of God poured out upon him in that moment. And then he's put in the grave. And when, the, when everyone thinks all is lost, he rises himself from the grave in victory, defeats sin and death, and paves the path of eternal life for us. He stands, in, he sits in heaven by the right hand of God, where he is ever our intercessor. He prays for you. Do you understand this? The risen Christ, if you are in him, sits at the right hand of God and pleads your case for you daily. And because of that, you have eternal life. When this season ends, because this life is temporary, it's a vapor. When this season ends, you close your eyes this side of the veil and you open them in eternity before the righteous Son of God who did all this for you. All of it. Now you tell me what about Christmas in its cultural trappings compares to that. What about 2020 that we've talked about for this entire year can make you... Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of neat, I guess. There's nothing in 2020 that can steal that from you. And there's nothing in 2021 that can steal that from you. Or 2022, or 2023, or 2050. Nothing will take that away if you are in Christ. And if you're listening to this, I'm assuming, I know, Rich, I know you, you probably agree with me. Most of you probably know Christ. And so this is a time of rejoicing with all the stress and the strain. This is a time of rejoicing. The greatest gift of all. Your sins forgiven, eternity with Christ. All wrapped up when you think about that nativity scene. That's all of it right there. That is everything we need. That is where our joy rests. Now, for those of you who may have stumbled across this or think you're a Christian, and you listen to a Christian podcast or whatever, if you don't know Christ, you don't have this. You don't have this at all. Rich. Well, brother, one thing I would like to point out too, you mentioned that Christ prays and pleads for us. Um, not only now in his resurrection, but while he was on earth, he prayed 
not for these only, Father, but those who will believe through their word. Even while Christ was here on earth, he prayed to the heavenly Holy Father for those that would be saved in the future through the preaching of the gospel. And one thing we need to remember, too, is that that moment of resurrection, Christ became engaged to his future bride, the church. The bridegroom now waits until, like he, Jesus Christ, all the saints are raised in his glory. The bride while on earth must be tested and purified and made stronger like iron in the forger's fire. But like Christ in the tomb, death will not hold or bind her. But we will be raised with him into eternal perfection in a pure white wedding gown of redemption and in an internal presence of the most holy God. We need to remember and focus, especially for Christians this time of the year, we need to remember, don't just look at that manger in Bethlehem. I plead with you this Christmas, remember, he is not a little baby. He is the man of glory. And when, when he ascended, he did something for those who will come to him and receive him. He gave them a power. Paul prayed for that power. And it's the gift that most of us need this Christmas. It is the gift of salvation. When Paul prayed for the Ephesians, he said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us towards those who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places for above all, for above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. My friends, my brothers and sisters, all those that you're listening to this, we need to remember he's no longer a little helpless baby there at Mary's bosom in Bethlehem. He is a mighty Savior, and he sits today at God's right hand. And no matter what your opinion is when it comes to sin, no matter what your opinion when it comes to, well, I don't live like this person, God is not going to judge you based on your opinion. God is not going to judge you based on the comparison that you make to others. God is going to judge you according to his perfect moral law, according to his perfect moral standard. And if you pass now and stand before God, and you will kneel before God, and he will judge you, but Christ was sent so that when you are judged by God, he will see Christ in you and not see the sin that you are surrounded by in your earthly life. Christ died to set you free from that sin. Christ died to not only save you and bring you into heaven, Christ died to save you from the wrath of God. The cup that Christ drank was the wrath of God. Please remember that and focus on that this Christmas and not just look at that manger in Bethlehem, but look at the glorious miracle that was his resurrection, brother. Amen. Amen. And if you have listened to this, and I said this before I turn things over to Rich, if you have listened to this thus far and you don't know that you have that salvation in Christ, understand this whole episode and what my brother just said right now. This is the gospel message. Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh, came to this world that he might die 
for sinners. For every vile sin you've ever committed. And let's be honest. You could stand before me and say, I'm better than you. I haven't done the things you have. And you might be right. But are you better than Christ? Are you better than the perfect, spotless, sinless Son of God? Because if you're not, if you are not perfect as he is perfect, then you stand no chance for against him on Judgment Day. You will be held accountable for every dark thought, every immoral word that crossed your lips, for every disobedient thought or act against your parents, for every time you took one thing that didn't belong to you, whether you took, you, you cooked the books on your timesheet, whether you took something from the store that you just didn't have the money for, but yeah, nobody's going to know. Whether you downloaded something from the internet that you didn't pay for. Every lie that you've ever told, and let's be honest, don't tell me you told a lie to protect your friend that the dress looked good on because you didn't want to hurt her, her feelings. You protected yourself because if you'd said, eh, it doesn't look good on you, you might have damaged the relationship. Let's be honest. A lie is to protect you. It's not to protect somebody else. So every lie you've ever told, every time you weren't satisfied with what God gave you, you told the holy, righteous God of the universe, my way's better. What I want is better. And you can't judge me. Well, he will. He'll, you'll stand before him and the books of your life will be open and there will be no pleading your case. You might get to sway your friends to think, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. But God will not feel that way. You will not sway God. He demands perfect righteousness or you are condemned. And there's only one escape. And it is through the one who came to be in a manger who lived a perfect life and then took on the wrath of God in your place. And then rose from the grave to give you a promise of eternal life. So what is Christmas? Well, it's like Linus said. Christmas is Christ coming into this world. But it's not just his arrival that we celebrate. It's the fact that if you will repent, you will turn away from your sins and you will turn to the righteous, holy son of God. And you bow in humble submission to him and trust in the work that he did for you. Then his defeat of sin and death at the grave, his resurrection will be the promise of your eternal life. As Rich said, it is the seal upon which all of this matters. All of it is verified. All of it is proven because he rose himself from the grave. And you can know that you will be saved. That is Christmas. Without Easter, there is no Christmas. Without the resurrection from the dead, there is no Christmas. Because it's just a random child being born in a barn. But the resurrection is the proof that he is who he says he is. And that you can trust what he did will bring you into the courts of the living God on, on the day that you pass out of this life. So folks, we hope, we hope that as bad as 2020 has been, as we get ready to wrap up this year, 
that you, this week, as you gather with your family, and guess what? We're not going to be live next week. <laughs> We're going to be with our family still. We'll put something out. Don't worry. But we're not going to have a new program next week. Be with your families. But remember what it is we celebrate. As you open presents, as you eat to stuff your face or whatever it is you're going to do. As you volunteer at a soup kitchen. As you get, help the homeless. Whatever it is you're doing. As beautiful as those things will be. There's only one true celebration about this point. And that is the risen Christ who gives us the promise of eternal life if we will but turn from our sins and put our faith in his completed work. So we hope that has given you hope, that it has reminded you why we have joy in a time like this. Rich, any last thoughts before we let him go? I'd just like to remind and to inform anyone that may be has not ever come across this, but remember, the Bible clearly states that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If there's any one thing that you could do to be saved, it would be to drop to your knees and with tears beg Christ to grant you the gift of salvation. You cannot decide to be saved. You cannot choose to be saved. It is all through Jesus Christ and his life, his resurrection, his choice, his will. So if there's anything that you can do on your own to be saved, it would be to drop to your knees, cry in tears, and beg Christ for forgiveness. But guess what? That in itself is a gift from God. So as you take these things forward, think about them, contemplate them, and if you are truly saved in Christ, if nothing else, take from this episode and use it as fuel and get out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ at least once a day as you go forward throughout the rest of this year and into next year, brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you for being with us through this whole year. If there has been one amazing gift from you guys to us is that you've been with us through this whole time. Uh, we see, you know, we're not a numbers guys, but we see the numbers and there's a consistent set of numbers, which tells us we have a consistent listener base, which means you're taking time to listen to what we put out. We don't deserve even a single one of you guys to listen, but you've been the greatest gift we could hope for by tuning in every week. And we hope that in this insane year, in this year of 2020, which will be an adjective for years to come about how bad something is. Oh, it's a total 2020. Um, if we've done anything in these last 12 months, what we pray is that we have done what we have always set out to do. And that is to glorify God and edify the saints. And if we have done that even a little bit, then we've got far more blessing out of this than we could have ever hoped for. Thank you for being part of it. And we look forward to seeing what 2021 has to offer. I'm a little concerned, <laughs> but we'll see what it brings. We do hope to get at least one more 
show out. It won't be next week, but we hope to get one more show out uh, before the year's end. Um, if not, we will do it at the first the first weekend in January. But thank you for being part of this. Thank you for sharing this. Thank you for the comments that we sometimes get. Thank you for the suggestions. Thank you for interacting with us on social media. Thank you for just, I don't know, just being there. But as you go into this week before we hit Christmas, think about what we've talked about. Christmas isn't just the birth of Christ. It is everything we talked about. It is the gospel message from Christmas to Easter. And with no, without Easter, there's no Christmas. Share that with somebody. The greatest gift you can give is the gospel. The greatest impact you can make in someone's life is to point them to Christ. So please, at least now, at a time when the word Christ is on everyone's lips because we're talking about Christ, Christ Mass, Christmas. Talk to somebody about it. Because somebody, somebody gave that message to you. Give it to somebody else too. God bless you guys. We thank you for being with us. And Merry Christmas. We'll see you next time.